Welcome to Reynolds Wrap, the positive and practical podcast. We want to encourage you through spiritual insight from God's Word to maintain an authentic Christian life. Welcome back to the Reynolds Wrap podcast. I'm so glad you're here. As always, it is a joy to be with you and spend time uh, conversing and talking about the Word of God with you, thinking about things that we can do to be more positive, more practical, and just to basically desire to be more genuine in our walk with God. Today in our time together, I want to talk about conflict and conflict management. Back several years ago, when I was preaching in North Alabama for several years, I uh, had a couple of congregations that I worked with that just seemed like there was the same problems. And you may see this yourself if you have, let's call it shopped around for congregations, where you go somewhere and you say, this is where I want it to be my home. Usually you look for a few things. I might point that out start. When you go to a congregation, you, you look for a few things that you think, you know, this is what I'm this is what I want to see. I want to see a strong youth group, or I want to see, you know, a preacher with a message that is, you know, basically applicable, that I can I can get something out of it that's someone who is in with the the no, you know, somebody that really understands the culture and uh, it has his has his fingers on the pulse of society. Uh, you also may look for good shepherds that can lead you. And some of you may look and see the different ministries of the church. So how much outreach are they doing? And I don't know exactly what it is. Some people, it's basically how good of a parking spot they can get and, and how comfortable the pews are. And, that, and that's, that's, if that's what you're going for, you know, I mean, you can find some places that'll serve you a nice cup of Joe too. But anyways, when you go to a congregation, maybe if you're like me, you go to a church and you say, this is what I'm looking for. This is the specific thing I came here for. And you go to that church, that congregation, and after a little while, you find out that things are not as beautiful and wonderful and magnificent as they seem. There are problems there. And so maybe you think to yourself, well, I'll stick it out for a while. And you do for a short time. And then you decide, hey, you know what I really need to do? I can't do this here. I'm going to go somewhere else. And so you go to another congregation. Um, my parents didn't do that a lot, but we did do that some when I got to junior high and high school. Um, our parents said it was because they wanted us to be in a strong youth group, but we ended up settling at a church that only had six kids in the high school youth group, and five of them, including myself, were all related. <laughs> so, um, And the other one was a deacon's daughter. So basically, we, we, we did finally settle, but we shopped around. They went to different churches, and we'd see something we liked, and then we'd see something that we didn't like. And what we learned, what you will learn, is that every single church has conflict, Every congregation has things that prove that they're human, okay? And when we get to a point that we think we found the quote-unquote perfect church, I always tell people, if you think you found the perfect church, you need to move because you're going to mess it up. You're going to be the one person that messes it up because no one is perfect. The church has always been full of conflict, and I think we need to understand that it's never going to be exactly the way we want it. And if it is the way we want it, something's wrong. When you look at, say, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, and you begin to see what God had in, uh, anticipated for the church today, he sees a, a body with a lot of moving parts. And sometimes those moving parts may get in the way of something else. I don't know about you, but when I walk at night, if I don't have a light, I will trip over my own two feet. I'm six foot four, 350 pounds. And when I come down, it may be an arm, it may be a leg, it may be my head that hits, but I'm coming down fast and coming down hard. So because of one person's misstep, 
the church can often suffer. One person's mistake can cause the rest to suffer as well. Does that make sense? So what we need to do is we view the church as a body. And just because I've got a I've got a hangnail on my right index finger, okay? Left index finger, sorry. My left index finger, I have a hangnail. And I've had this hangnail for a couple weeks. And usually, usually, um, and I hope this isn't disgusting for you. I'm not talking about ingrown toenails. Okay, for some reason, why is the toenail always more disgusting than a fingernail? But anyways, so my fingernail, I have a hangnail on my right index finger, or left index finger, and I, I started by just trimming it back, you know, and it's not ingrown, it's just a little hangnail. And I have pulled it, I have pulled it, I have pulled it, I have used tweezers, I have used, um, you know, peroxide, whatever, and still, it's just right in the corner where it just irritates me. And I thought it had gone away. I thought that it finally, I had it cleaned up and, you know, put a Band-Aid on it and everything's good and it's fine. I get done with services today. I was leading singing and I come down off the pulpit and I realize that on my pants and on my shirt, there was a little bit of red spots. And I thought, well, I hadn't been to Mexican yet. I usually eat Mexican for lunch. And sure enough, I get, I get filthy because I get spill salsa all over myself. But I, what in the world is this red stuff on me? And I realized that it was blood and I had somehow, some way, nicked that finger again and it was bleeding again. And when my when my when I get a hangnail on my finger, my whole hand hurts, the whole finger hurts. And I can feel it in my brain and I can feel it in my toes. When you have a nick or a scratch, I've got nicks on my legs. In fact, I'm really bad. I don't heal very quickly. I don't bleed a lot, but I don't heal quickly. And um so I've got some nicks on my legs, little scratches and little, you know, scabs and things like that. So if I wear shorts, the teenagers are church like, man, what happened to your legs? And I'm like, well, you remember when I told you I fell off the trailer moving furniture the other day? Yeah, that that's still there hanging with me six weeks earlier. And, um, you know, I, I fell, I was sitting in my office and I leaned back in my chair here at home and I fell backwards and I got a huge nick on my, um, on my, on my leg. And also out here in my shop behind the house, I fell one day it was wet and I scratched up my arm and my leg. I'm just, you know, a little clumsy, I guess. But anyways, I got all these little nicks and scratches and people were like, what is wrong? I said, well, I just had a little accident, but you know what? That those, those parts, I don't even think about that's those scabs and those, those little, little nicks and stuff until somebody points it out. And then when I reach down and touch it, I'm like, oh yeah. And the memory comes back to me of what I did. That's the way Paul, follow me now, that's the way Paul wants you to think of the church, that we're one big body. And we may not even know that there's something bleeding until it's pointed out to us. And then you're like, oh my goodness, I've got a scratch all the way down the side of my leg. Where did I get that? Well, let's see, I was out in the yard. I did walk by a thorny bush. I guess one pricked me. We may have uh, you know, a scratch in the back of our neck. Or maybe when we shave, guys are really bad about that. Girls too, shaving their legs. But guys will shave, I'll shave, and I don't even know I've nicked underneath my ear or, you know, along some side of my neck. And then I get the white shirt on and go, what in the world is that? And then you feel it and you're like, oh yeah, I've hurt myself. Paul says that's the way the church is. That we're one big body and there's not one part of the body that can say to another it doesn't belong. What we have to grasp is we're all different moving parts in one collective whole. Why, Paul, is that so essential in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, if you'll keep reading, you're going to see that he's talking about every part of the body of Christ has its place. Every single person has some kind of a talent that needs to be used. 
I've heard people say before in the church, well, you know, if we just didn't have that one person here or that one family here, if that if they just go on down the road or if they just leave, let me tell you something. Even if a difficult person leaves, someone else is going to be difficult right behind them. You may be the difficult person and you don't even know it. The church is a family. Just because I'm having a tiff with my 13 or my 16, 17, or my 21-year-old son, okay, just because I'm having a little tiff or an argument, it does not mean that I kick him out of the family. And just because I have a nick on my finger doesn't mean I cut the whole finger off. What makes the church different than the world is that we do not shoot the wounded. We should not be shooting people that are wounded. Now, you know what I mean. I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking figuratively. If someone is suffering and they're struggling, we usually screen them out. And if someone is being difficult, rather than handling the problem the way Jesus told us to, setting down one-on-one, we will often try to push that person out as quickly as possible. And and I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. When I pray for my enemies or I pray for people that are difficult, sometimes I just say, God, you know, just, just take care of the problem. Take care of the problem. But in many respects... Sometimes the greatest leaders, the greatest Christian examples are those that with repentance change their heart and mind to do what is right, which supersedes what their own flesh is telling them to do. They will lay aside their pride, they will lay aside their arrogance, and they will do the right thing. And those are the most impactful stories that take place in the kingdom of God. And you would not know. Look look at through if you're on TikTok, if you're on YouTube, if you're on any social media site. Sometimes the most popular uh, videos and stories are of people who have made a, a just an absolute transformation. The ch- church is full of transforming people. We're not fully transformed. We've got to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 1 and 2. There is no such thing as a non-conflict church. Even if you're in a church of one, there's still conflict. So what I want us to see today is we need to understand conflict, but we also need to learn to understand people. If we learned how to handle and manage people, we would be much better at peacemaking. We would be much better at handling conflict. We would be much better in leadership. We would be much better in the way we do evangelism. I think that one of the key things the church needs to focus on is what we can do to understand people. So let's reason in our minds. Let's reflect on some things that can help us learn how to handle and to deal with conflict by understanding people. A couple things we need to address, first of all, is conflict is an inevitable fact of life. There is nothing you can do to change it. You're never going to find someone that you agree with 100%. I think it's always funny when I meet these kids that are dating, you know, and they're like, we have everything in common. We're the same person. You know, we just, we're absolute, look, I, I've had friends like that before, that we have all these great things in common, but you're going to find areas where you disagree. There is no such thing as a conflict-free marriage or a conflict-free, you know, a child in your family. The church is full of conflict. The great thing that makes us different is that we are a group of people that understand the differences. We're supposed to see that everybody's different and rejoice in that. I'm thankful that we don't all look alike. So there's no such thing as a a conflict-absent church. Another thing is, we need to see the word conflict as not a negative term. 
conflict is not negative or positive. In and of itself, conflict is a neutral term. Conflict is not always bad. The greatest events in Bible history took place because of conflict. It may have been an interpersonal conflict. It may have been uh, an intergroup conflict. But no matter what it was, whether it's intrapersonal or interpersonal, there is a sense that when conflict comes, whether it's with an individual, with a group, with a, you know, however it comes, there's something to be learned from it. And that's why I think it's good for churches. If your church doesn't do this, you might want to think about it. Having meetings with people when they leave our congregation and say, hey, look, this is odd. You've probably never experienced this before, but we're going to have a meeting with you. We know you've placed membership at another church. You've left, whatever. We'd like for you to tell us, and we want you to be brutally honest. What led you to this other congregation? Don't just say, you know, we like the preacher or our kids friends with some people. No, give us the real Real reasons. What are some things that if you were moving back to our community, if you were if you were a first-time visitor, what are the things that you can see? Maybe you could do this anonymously. That might take the uh take the the worry and frustration out of it. What if we gave some some surveys to people who visited our church and did surveys with people who've left our church and say, what are some things that you see we can improve on? Now don't do that unless you're planning on taking action on it, okay? But but to say, conflict's not a negative or a positive thing. It's just neutral. What can we learn from mistakes that we've made to be better? That's what the greatest coaches in football, that's what they do. They sit down and they go over every single minute detail. Now, you can say what you want about some of the coaches in the NFL. You can say what you want about some of the college's uh, coaches. You know, I think about, of course, I'm an Alabama fan, so Nick Saban is who I think about. And as a person, he's, he, he's, a, he's a, I guess you could say he's a nice guy. He does a lot of charity work. Um, he's, a, he's a fantastic coach. There's no question about that. Unprecedented in our time. Uh, just a handful of coaches that some of you probably listening could name uh, others like Bear Bryant that were great coaches. But I'm telling you, when you think about the way that he coaches football, he's never satisfied. Never People have asked me, you know, why do you think Coach Saban hasn't retired or why hasn't he passed on the mantle? And I tell him the same thing. He's never had a season where he's had a perfect season. He's won the SEC championship and he's won, you know, the national championship. He wants to he wants a clean sweep. He wants the hat trick. The perfect season, a SEC win and a national championship win. And he's not going to be satisfied until he gets that. Even then he may want two or three. I don't know. But I'm telling you there are some people that are not satisfied. They want to continue to look inward and see what they can change. When I was preaching full-time, I'm now a youth minister, but when I was preaching full-time, I always made, I kind of had a group of people, I called them the Packers. You know, I'm not a Packers fan, but, I, you know, it's a good name. And they were the Packers. They were the pulpit advisory committee. And I, I gave them sheets, and I asked them uh, questions about how to improve. What are some themes this month that really resonated? What are some things that you didn't like? Are there any songs that didn't quite flow with the sermon? Is there a way we could structure the scripture readings? Uh, how is the table talk at the communion? And we go through all that stuff, and it helps us to improve. Make sure if, if we say, like, for instance, we take the Lord's Supper, and we don't quote scripture when we take the Lord's Supper, that might be a turnoff to somebody, because we definitely need to make sure we're doing it in spirit and truth, right? So it's good to get that feedback so we can tell the guys at the table, make sure you take a Bible with you when you go up and talk about communion. 
So there's that that conversation that takes place. So a good survey would be good to kind of help people uh, see what we can do to change and do better. Conflict is is caused by a lot of different things. It may not be one person. Per, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? One specific person or one specific thing. Oh, and what I mean by that is just because there is a a difficult situation does not mean that something in that specific situation caused the problem. There have been times I've taken my car into the shop and thought I had a major issue. In fact, I had um, three or four times my truck died on the highway. And um, every time my oil light would come on and I knew it was full of oil and I knew the engine was in good working order because I had just gotten a tune-up. And um, so when I had the tune-up done, I had him look over everything. This happened about oh, about a year and a half ago. Um, and I, at that time, was not working at the church uh, in uh, Gulf Shores anymore. I was actually working in a couple churches in Meridian and in Somerdale. And uh, I had to call the former, he's now the former youth minister that I had worked with there. And I was like, I need some help. Can you give me a ride? And they towed, they towed my truck. It cost me a tow. And when he got it there, I told him, I said, look, here's what's happened. It keeps dying. I know that it's not an injury related problem. I've replaced the battery twice. It's not the battery. They, I took it to um, AutoZone. They said it wasn't the alternator. I don't know what it is. I don't know why the t- truck continues to die. I mean, we've changed spark plugs. We've changed the battery. We've, we've looked at the alternator, whatever. Well, he takes it in, and he looks it over, and it turns out it was a problem with the alternator. That was the main the main issue. Oh, no, no, wait, sorry. It was the starter. Sorry, it was the starter. That was the main issue. And he was able to fix it in just a few hours and send me back out on the road. But I had to have it towed to his place of business because I could not figure out what the problem was and nobody could tell me what the problem was. But once the starter was fixed, we're good to go. I'm out driving again. If you know the right kinds of people and they can ask the right kinds of questions, you'll get the answer. I had another issue with my tr- – I've had a lot of truck trouble, but I had one – one day I, um, I was driving and my truck stopped, just completely stopped, and it wouldn't turn over. And I was a good ways away from home. And I thought, I don't know what's going on here, but, you know, the car won't start. And so I turned it back on, and I had been – I had my radio up, so I did not hear when the radio was up that my low-fuel light was on. And so I could not get it started again, and I couldn't push it to the gas station. So I did a trick that I was taught in high school, and you, this may help you. But if you'll take your gas cap off, sometimes it will – because of the pressure, it may put just enough gas in to get you just a little bit further. And it worked for me. I'd been told that it worked, but I didn't believe it. So I took my gas cap off, and it started up. It was kind of thump, 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 thump. You know, it was kind of about to die. And I was able to gas it just hard enough on a downhill slide to basically just roll into the tank. And that's happened to me about three or four times. Uh, And so I rolled in and I filled up with gas. But I I thought something was majorly wrong with my car, my truck. But it wasn't. It was just I was out of gas. I was reading the wrong gauges. I was paying attention to the radio and not the gas gauge. I had no idea I was out of gas. So things happen like that. And so you think you've got the pinpoint pinpointed the problem. You think, oh, I know exactly. If we get rid of this person or finish this situation or fix this issue, then everything's going to be fine. Look, conflict doesn't always happen because of that. If there's a guy that yells at you or honks at you, you know, or, or screams at you, or there's a, you know, there's a Karen that's aggravating you, okay? It may not be that you're an evil person. It may just be they're having a bad day. 
So conflict, when you think about it, can be ta- caused by a lot of, lot of things. And so there's a lot of broad areas and arenas that we could go into to, to deal with each one. But conflict usually happens because of the relationship between two people. Couples see this all the time. One person thinks the other one has done something or thought something. In fact, most of the times it's a look, a glance, a body movement. And we're like, oh, what's that about? You know, what was that? What was that? And we'll get, we'll start arguing saying, oh, I know you're mad. No, I know you are. Well, now they are because we won't leave them alone. But we, we automatically assume that there's something wrong there. And so because there is an issue with the relationship, then the conflict can often get blown completely out of proportion. And conflicts will gain energy and problems will gain energy when you pay attention to it. Now, that doesn't mean you need to just drop it, neglect it, give it up. But if you're trying to solve something, you don't just keep harping on it over and over and over and over and over and over and hope that somehow, some in miraculous way, it's going to just be solved. So we've got to figure out a way to be able to, to, to deal with it. And I believe it comes down to relationships with people. That's the gist of it. We've got to learn to handle people, whether it's a, a friend at church, it's a coworker, it's your spouse, it's your family members, it may be a, a church member or a church leader, it may be the congregation as a whole. Whatever your conflict is, you've got to learn to deal with people, not look at it as a problem, but about maintaining communication with people. Go to the book of Acts. You'll see stories. Acts 2. You know, there was conflict between Peter and the apostles and the other people present. They thought they were drunk at that time of the day. You go to Acts 4. They were beaten and forbidden not to preach. You go to Acts 5. Peter has to actually approach a couple who had basically lied to the Holy Spirit about how much money they had given to a cause that was a very noble one within the church. You've got Stephen being persecuted and eventually killed for his faith. His martyrdom stands out to me in Acts 6 and 7. You got Paul's conflict with the church in 8 and 9 and moving forward. Then you got Acts 11 where Peter basically has to defend Cornelius and the Gentiles' inclusion into the church, and they immediately appoint Paul or Saul at that time and Barnabas to go out and preach to these churches and and reach Gentiles. But then Peter has a uh, kind of basically disappears off the map, and Paul, who looks like he's got it all together, has a conflict with John Mark, and that party splits in Acts 15. Go on through the scriptures in the book of Acts. Every page is filled with conflict. Every letter that Paul wrote handle some kind of a conflict with an individual or with a church. You say, well, what's driving that conflict? Is it selfishness? Is it pride? Is it ambition? Is it bitterness? Is it gossip? Is it fear? Is it lust? Is it bias? Is it prejudice? What is it? Well, most of the time, conflict is out of ignorance because we do not know how to handle people. We need to understand the importance of relationships. This is not a battle for me to win. It's not me versus brother so-and-so or me versus sister so-and-so. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. That church leader is my shepherd. He's my minister. He's my youth minister. He's my youth leader. That lady in the church, she's a widow. She's a, a person who's been raised in the church and she's mentored her children and many great children through Bible class. We automatically assume the worst when we have conflict with people. Oh, I'll bet they're sitting around their dinner table, and I'll bet you they're talking about me right now. I'll bet you they've called every person in their family, and I'll bet you they've talked to so-and-so and so-and-so, and and I'll bet so-and-so's on their side. And then the devil has his heyday with our minds. 
And we're all guilty of that. We automatically want to assume the worst. But if we want to build relationships with people and understand people, we've got to be like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 and see people through the eyes of love. I've had things happen to me in my life where people have hurt me. And I mean hurt me in the worst possible ways. Try to ruin my reputation or my ministry. And, and you look at it and you're like, what do you do about that? How can you handle that? Sometimes you can't fix anything. But God has an amazing way of working things out. And when you love people and you don't retaliate in anger and frustration, sometimes people are going to make the right decision. And when they do, you don't gloat about it and you don't rub it in their face and say, well, you finally realized you were wrong. You finally did the right thing. No, you have respect for that person who repented and confessed their sin and you, and you don't go, oh, but they'll do it again. No, 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 no. Forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Now they've confessed it. Now they've repented of it. You need to forgive them. That's the way God forgives you. We, we can't hold grudges. I don't have time to do that. You don't have time to do that. We got a lost and dying world out here of people that have never heard about Jesus Christ. And we are so focused on the conflict within the body that we forget that there are people that aren't even inside the body because they're outside of Christ. We need to start focusing on relationships with people in the church and slowly start thinking about relationships with those outside of the church. That's really the key to handling conflict is understanding people. We ought to have, I'm telling you, church, we ought to have a burning desire to restore relationships. We've, we've got to have a burning desire to try to reconcile people to the body and to Christ himself. If our heart isn't in a ministry of reconciliation, I have to question whether or not we're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. If we're thinking the worst of someone or we're expecting someone to do something that we aren't even willing to do, we have a fundamental heart problem. Our motivation should be to improve the relationship with everyone around us. Biblical reconciliation. And that means it begins at the cross, that we lock arms, we sit down and we pray, we love on each other, we pray for each other, we cry with each other, and at the foot of the cross, we see ourselves as equal. There is not one person in the church that is better than another. Not one. There's no hierarchical system in the New Testament church. Just because a person fulfills a role, it doesn't mean that they have some official capacity. I've, I've pointed out quite frequently to people in 1 Timothy 3 where it talks about the office of a bishop. Remember, that's your King James Bible because they believed in the officers within the church. It means if a man desires to be a leader, a shepherd, you know, when you have a child, no one comes up to you and hands you an award and say, congratulations, you are now officially a dad. You're officially a mom. No, it just that's natural. You are because you have the child. In the church, there are deacons that serve. There are elders who shepherd. There are ministers who preach and teach. And those are natural gifts of the Holy Spirit that you're just using to the glory of God. The fact that we recognize them by title is only for the benefit for people to go to them whenever they're struggling with something. But it's not to say that that person is on a hierarchical scale and they're better than everybody else. We're all equal. You know, God's not going to take all the elders first when we get to judgment day. Excuse me, all you lowly folks. I need the elders and the deacons to step forward first. No, we're all equal. And in that way, we're all fallen Christians too. We all sin. You, You can't expect your elders and your deacons and your ministers and your church leaders, your youth leaders, not to sin because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. 
the meaning of our, rec- our relationship, the meaning of the reconciliation of a relationship shows that we are trusting in God, we're believing in God to do healing, to bring, bring that reconciliation, to, to bring resolution to the conflict. And that can't happen without a commitment by both parties and by prayer. Now, I think maybe, I know our time is, is running short, but I would love to, maybe in the next podcast, I'll spend some time talking about personality styles and how those personality styles contribute to further conflict in an individual. Because there are certain people that are more prone to conflict, and there are other people that are so focused on compromise that they're unwilling to even stand up for themselves. I mean, they couldn't beat their way out of a wet paper sack. And we've got to be somewhere in the middle as the church. But I challenge you, I want to encourage you, this is the Positive and Practical Podcast. I want to encourage you to think about making relationships around you stronger and learning to love people. And when people do the right thing and they repent and they say they're sorry, you better stand behind them, give them encouragement and say what you've done is a marvelous thing, especially if they do it publicly to say what they've done wrong. I think that is this that is such a powerful thing. When someone comes forward and says, you know, I did this, I'm sorry, I'm asking for forgiveness, we ought to grant it to them and we ought to embrace them and say, you've set a, a powerful example for the kingdom of God. And I close with this thought. Jesus spent his entire ministry focused on people. The New Testament church grew because they were they were in unity and communion with one another. If we want to be the restored New Testament church, we've got to be more focused on relationships. We thank you so much for tuning into today's broadcast. Hope that you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Keep coming back for original content on these podcasts and share them with your friends and loved ones. We also want to encourage you if you have any questions or want to direct something towards me, uh, any possible topics coming up in the near future you'd like for me to cover, you can write us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day, and we want to encourage you to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.